This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by, and we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, you can call Alex at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. I see you're working there. But is it? do you have a thermometer outside? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. So do you check it, like, when you leave in the morning? Yeah, you, sometimes I do. Yeah, usually I just check my phone. Oh, do you? The thing with the thermometer outside, especially, of course, in the daytime, because you get sunshine on it. Right. And so it, it's right on the house. It's right there. If the sun's hit, it'll be like 68 or anywhere up to 80 when it's actually 20 outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just curious because they were talking about the 20s right now. And, right. And, uh, you know, when you, you get up pretty early to get yeah. here in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, consequently... What was the temperature? Have any idea? It was like 20. It was about what it is now, 25, 23, oh, really? something like oh, that. That's not too bad. Yeah, not too bad. Had a little frost on the back windshield, but I parked up under the carport so the front was okay. Ah. But yeah, it was a little cool. Very a little cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you always talk about my birds, you know? Right. The other day, I was so nice. I woke up Wednesday morning. We went to the hockey game Tuesday. It didn't snow at all. I didn't even expect it. So I woke up Wednesday, and there's a beautiful carpet of snow on everything, the trees and everything else. And I bet we had at least 50, maybe 60, maybe more cardinals in the backyard. Whoa. It was just gorgeous. I actually tweeted out a, a little video that it's through the screen because we have a screen on the kitchen window. Mm -hmm. But it was really, really cool. That's got to be beautiful. Yeah, it was really cool. So, I, you know, you wake up and it's like, what kind of days it's going to be? And you see that snow and it's the Cardinals. I was like, oh, it's going to be a good day. Yeah, it was kind of interesting snow because it covered anything that wasn't, you know, hardscapes. Mm -hmm. So sidewalks, roads, everything was completely clear. So. Yeah, yeah. But aesthetically, it was very nice. It was very pretty. So just wanted All to right. pass that along. All right, great. Well, thanks. Yes, folks, Saturday mornings we get together and we talk. We talk, we talk, whatever you want to talk about. Your backyard your side yard, your front yard, you want to put in a new garden space, how are your house plants doing, what is potting mix, what is how to improve, shearing, pruning, diseases, bugs, and all that other stuff. And uh, information that we share together, hopefully it makes better decisions for you in the or as you orchestrate your landscape. And uh, with the final judgment, obviously going to be yours. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. As I said before, another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing. 
So if you want to have any questions answered or comments you want to make, you just call in 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, and Alex will answer. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and during the week I do land weekends to I do landscape consultations. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look around, and uh, I call it a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, the homepage, my email address, and phone numbers there where I can be reached. So uh, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 Three, three, four, four. I got a news release. Let's see. I think it was earlier in the week, but it was related to the 27th of November. No, of February. There's going to be some major changes at the Botanical Garden coming real soon, like very, very soon. And they were going to have a press conference related to that. What's happening? Uh, the the Taylor family, which we all know, they're the enterprise people. Uh, they're putting in a new visitor center, the Jack C. Taylor Visitor Center. And uh, basically what it's gonna, where it's going to be is north of where the Ridgeway Center is right now. Ridgeway Center is the main, the huge dome thing, the entrance. But that is going to be taken down, if you can possibly believe it. But so just north of it, that's where the Best Missouri Market is, where there was a parking lot, all kinds of different stuff. But I took my good gardening stroll through the parking lot. And I was wondering what was going to happen with all the rain gardens that have bald cypress, willow oaks, prairie drop seed, deciduous red-berried hollies, um, all kinds of different stuff. I don't know if the whole parking lot's going to be changed or what's actually going to happen. Or all the plantings that are along the foundation, the front foundation of the Ridgeway Center, be it ferns, be it maples, be it uh, Bishop's Hat, be it uh, Japanese maples, as well as regular maples. And very soon, in about, uh, well, I guess a little over, not quite two months, but there's going to be a huge origami garden exhibit starting on April 25th at the garden. But also there's Sweet Bay Magnolias that are intermingled with some birch trees. There's China Girl Hollies, which are the backdrop, the hedge, for seasonal plantings. There's those large dish planters for seasonal color, which transition from the vehicle area to the walkway. And then all the way underneath the tree line entrance. Wow, just amazing. Now, when I worked at the Botanical Garden, the Ridgeway Center was not there. The concept was just being developed. And where Ridgeway Center is right now actually used to be a brick home. And the man that was in charge of the maintenance department he lived in this brick home that was there. There was also all kinds of like old historic brick buildings where equipment, where all kinds of different stuff was kept there. So when that was all taken down and Ridgeway was put up, it was like, wow, what a major change. And now Ridgeway is going to be taken down after the Jack C. Taylor uh, Visitor Center is finished. Or I guess I'm, I'm assuming they're going to want it to be finished but it's going to be totally dismantled, so I'll be real interested to see what happens with this whole idea and concept. But it kind of shows you how old I actually am, that I was there before the Ridgeway Center. Now the Ridgeway Center has been there for however many years, 30 years or whatever, and now it's going to be taken down. So, whoa, 
makes me think, I'm really getting old. I don't know what to do. But anyway, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open, so if you'd like to give us a call. But right now, let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi. I had a question for you. When should I start planting? After the freeze, but is that going to be in April this year since we have an early spring? Uh, what are we planting? Annuals. Oh, so... Probably you're going to have to wait till the garden center has them. Okay. Well, I know I have to wait a while, but I was trying to get a date when when I could start. Well, they don't even have the cool. You know, they don't even have pansies yet. I stopped by, you know, garden center this past week. This actually last Saturday, and they said it's still a little bit too early even for the pansies because pansies can take the and toad, toad flax too. They're both annuals that can take the cold weather and everything else. When it gets really cold, the you know the pansies will kind of turn their their face down to a little bit. But uh, in essence, it's just too cold. And uh, even though you know their cool season when it gets as cold as it has been. It, you know, they would be have some major damage to them. So it's still going to be a while, be, definitely before the, even the – probably another week or two before the cool season annuals start showing up. And then after that, it's a couple of weeks beyond that. Oh, okay. And I want to put potting mix mixed with soil. We have container uh, planters that we use. I'm at the Villa of Riverwoods in Hazelwood. And we all do container planting. Mm-hmm. So the potting soil mixed with the ground, uh, with some dirt would be a good mix for the plants. No, just potting potting mix by itself, not potting soil. And definitely oh, potting mix. Yeah, potting mix, which is very light. Potting soil is generally pretty heavy, and then you don't want to mix in the regular soils with it at all. Just keep it pure potting mix. Oh, okay. And then with all your annuals, basically, if you're talking about warm season or cool season, they really like to be fertilized. So have some fertilizer available and then start fertilizing uh, probably a week or so after you get them in, you know, planted. First fertilizing then and then about every couple of weeks after that all the way through the growing season. Oh, okay. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. <laughs> yeah, so potting mix, not potting soil. Because a potting mix just drains better, and it's much better for the plant material. In other words, a potting mix is what the nurseries that produce the plant material, they use not necessarily a specific company's potting mix, but they use a very light mix. And that's because it's to the advantage of the plant material. The heavier stuff holds too much moisture and can cause some problems for the root systems. Okay. Well, thanks again. Certainly. My pleasure. And let's go now from Mary over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Good morning. Happy Leap Day. Yes. Uh, Yes, I wanted to call and let you know, always plant after Mother's Day, and I'm going to hang up and listen to what you think about that. (laughs) Well, any, you know, I mean, that's fine. After Mother's Day, you can plant before that. You can plant after that. Those kind of sort of... uh, 
farmer's almanac type things or whatever, you know, I mean, that's a, it's a good rule of thumb, but that's probably when the majority of the plant material as far as the warm season annuals are going to be showing up. But prior to that, you can plant lettuce, you can plant all kinds of other stuff, you can plant bulbs like or root systems like rhubarb and asparagus and things like that. But, yeah, that's probably when you're going to have the most or the widest variety of uh, plant material available at the garden center. So there's nothing wrong with that. You can certainly wait. I generally do it a little bit sooner, but uh, Mother's Day is what perfect. What about frost? What about a surprise frost? What, what, what's that? What about a, in St. Louis? I've had surprise frost before. Very close to Mother's Day, really? but not after. Well, yes. So if you plant lettuce and there's a frost, would you ruin that, or would it be okay? No, lettuce can handle it. It depends upon how okay. heavy duty the frost is. But lettuce yeah, is okay. a cool, you know, cool season vegetable, so it should be able to take it. All right. Well, thank you so very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's head out to Wentzville and go to Big Al's. Hi, Big Al. Morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I'm thinking about my garden. Coming up soon, uh, last fall I put compost on it and a little bit of lime, and I was wondering if you would have any ideas as what else I could do. I usually raise uh, lettuce, spinach, uh, tomatoes, and radish. Uh, how come you put lime down? I don't know. I've never put it on there before, and I thought I'd give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, all lime's going to do is kind of mess, or it's going to change your soil pH. So if you yeah. had good luck with your plant material prior to that, if you put too much down, it might be detrimental to the plant material you're going to put in. Yeah. Well, I just put down very little. Oh, so it probably didn't do too much. No. Uh-uh. You got any other ideas? Uh, basically, what if you put... fertilizer? Uh if you're growing just annual type, you know, vegetables like what it sounded like you're talking about, then yes. a, a product like Triple Twelve, because that's Triple a one 12. season type thing. You could use that, or you can use. I mean, certain companies come up with products that are specifically just, you know, for you know vegetables or for tomatoes or things like that. Tomatoes, I prefer to use the tomato food per se because it has certain micronutrients that regular fertilizer does not have, and it prevents some of the problems with tomatoes. Yes. I had my soil tested, and it says uh, I need a lot of nitrogen. Well, basically, nitrogen doesn't stay in the ground. Yeah. So you take a soil test, and unless you put the nitrogen within two or three days prior to taking a soil test, then it's always going to say that you do not have any nitrogen in your soil. So that's a little bit misleading when it would say something like that. But if you had a soil test done, uh, does it tell you what the pH was? Uh, I think it did, but I've forgotten what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, with virtually everybody always thinks, you know, not talking a little bit different than what you were asking about, that their lawn needs to have an, you know, an alkaline soil, but that's not true. Lawns really like a slightly acidic soil. So when people put lime down on their, you know, lawn areas, they may be going contrary to having the best lawn they could possibly have. Lawns are very difficult anyway. But yes, this, right. you know, the whole idea with the, you know, the soil testing is to let you know if you've got enough phosphorus, enough potassium, those kind of things. And if it, if it did say that you had, 
you know, enough phosphorus and potassium because they stay in the ground for a couple years, then you um, might not even want to do a triple 12. You might want to do a 10-5-5 or something along that line. Yeah. Okay, Mike. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go from Big Al's over to Lynn's. Hi, Lynn. Yes, uh, I am looking at getting some fertilizer with uh, crabgrass preventer, and it's a 25010 uh, uh, or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. what the last number is. But the question is, I planted uh, new grass late last fall, and it's come up, but it's not very big. And I was wondering if I, it hurt to put that uh, fertilizer on there. Basically, if it's up, so you planted grass seed last fall? Yes, like in October. Okay. Uh, then as long as the seed is germinated, then the crabgrass preventer won't have any impact on it at all. And as right. far as a high level of uh, you know nitrogen, like I was just saying, nitrogen only stays in the ground for a couple, a few days, and then it becomes a gas and goes up into the air and then doesn't come back down out of the air until there's lightning strikes. So... Yeah, you know, if it looks healthy and everything else, you should be fine with that. Okay. So, have you had a history of crabgrass problems? Is that why you went with the crabgrass? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, definitely get it down, and you know, like I always say, you want to get those pre-emergence down about the same time the forsythia is in bloom, which they aren't in bloom yet. But uh, you could wait for, you know, I don't know if you know what part of town you live in, but just watch for the yellow shrubs when they're in flower. That's when you want to get that pre-emergent slash fertilizer combination that you have down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 if you got questions, concerns, or comments. And getting your soil tested, uh, this is the time to do it. And what a really kind of unique thing, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more during the tip of the trial. But the University of Missouri Extension Service, that's who does the soil testing. The next week, starting on March 1st, Let's see, is that, uh, is that month? No, tomorrow? March 1st, yes. And what they're going to do is they want you to have your soil tested. And what it does is it has a huge impact on your plant health just in general. But they've got drop-off locations. They have the main office that they've opened within the last few years in Kirkwood, but there are several different garden centers and other type of organizations that allow you to drop off your soil sample so it can be tested. Interesting thing is, this is something, it's a kind of a new concept that they've just come up with this year. And I was a little bit surprised that they would do it in the springtime because they always forewarn you about the spring submitting soil tests because they are overwhelmed a lot of times. But some of the places you, you can drop off your soil sample to have tested so you you get the you know you find out what the soil sample how to get a soil sample well you don't really know well I'll t- I'm going to give you an email address that tells you exactly how to get a soil sample that you can take to uh, several different locations and drop them off get your pen out or you know record this or use this for a podcast or whatever but it's tiny t i n y u r l so t i n y u r l dot com slash twenty twenty soil health blitz. So if you go to that, you know, put that in your browser 
If you go in there and look at that, it'll tell you exactly how to take a soil sample, how much you need and everything else. Then next week, you can drop it off at various locations starting on Monday, March the 2nd, all the way through next Saturday, March the 7th. And the locations are Brightside St. Louis, Crabapple Cove Nursery, Hummert International, Garden Heights Nursery, Gateway Greening, Greenscape Gardens, and then St. Louis Composting, two of their locations, the one in Florissant and the one in Valley Park. So you can get that. It's going to be $25, but find out exactly how to take the soil sample if you've never done this before. So, again, it's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot C-O-M slash 2020 Soil Health Blitz. And, I mean, there's a graphic and everything else that tells you exactly what you need to do as far as getting a soil sample. Let's head to, should we take a break or should we take the, let's go over to, let's head out to Lime and go into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Good. Question. I just heard you make a comment about nitrogen in the soil to the last gentleman you talked to. Yes. And you, you said that, you know, when you place nitrogen down with a fertilizer, that it only lasts for a, a short period of time and it dissipates as a gas. Right. Yeah. So. What about nitrogen that's, that's affixed in the soil by, you know, having clover and stuff like that? Well, that's different because what it is, it's not really from the fertilizer. The clover takes it out of the air and then sends it down and holds it in, in, in the root system. Okay. It doesn't yeah, necessarily dissipate it out of that root system. It just holds on to it itself. Okay, so those nodules that they're that they're producing in the ground is holding that nitrogen there, right? Along with other things as well. But yeah, that's you know that's a, okay. the whole idea and concept behind that. That's why you know clovers planted a lot. Then what happens after a couple years? Then they turn the clover over, and when it's turned over and more or less, let's say, killed, rototilled, or you know, plowed or whatever, then the nitrogen becomes released that way. But as long as the plants are just growing actively. It's not really releasing that, you know, the nitrogen into the soil. So I got you. So the idea of fertilizing with with granules and that is to get that immediate uh, nitrogen to the plants that are there then, and then that's, you know, you have no more after that. Exactly. So plants grab it really quick. So, right. Okay. And that's, you know, that within a few days, they you know, they grab it and they get as much as they possibly can out of that application and then consequently, like I said, it just dissipates and heads up into the air. Okay, Dave. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With questions, concerns, or comments. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, I don't know what kind of trees or anything you have in your neighborhood or in your own yard, but uh, the leaf debris is still continuing to blow around as we were sitting around, Tracy and I, yesterday. She said, boy, the wind is really blowing. I said, yep, you can just see the leaves coming up out of the park because where we are in relationship to Christie Park, the winds come out of the southwest and they blow to the northeast. And now today after... I'm heading out for a walk and talk. After I get home, I'm going to have to get rid of some of those leaves because, I mean, they pile up a little bit, and it's you know you know how fungus is in the lawn areas here. So, 
It's, you know, ah, <laughs> Alex is cheering about something. I can't tell you what. But uh, anyway, let's head over to Jim's yard. Ha <laughs> ha, caught him up by surprise. Jim, what's happening? Good morning, Mike. Uh, I'd like to know when there's the best time to plant sunflower seeds and how much sun do they really need? They really need as much sun as possible. So maximum amount of sun is the ideal situation with them. Now, I have some of the not necessarily sunflowers grown from seed, but some of the sunflower family, and they get about five hours of direct sun every day. And consequently, they do pretty good. They're perennial sunflowers, you know, purple cone flowers and things like that. But uh, so at least five or six hours. And I would probably wait, uh, you know, like the gentleman said, Mother's Day, put the seed in, or you could actually start the seed a little bit earlier and uh, in pots and then plant them outside. But I would think sometime around mid-May would be the time to put the seed in the ground. Okay. Thank you very much. Yep. Enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. And make sure that, you know, besides a sunny location, you work up the soil because they're tough. But the better the soil is, the better the growth is going to be. And there's a gentleman that lives across the street from me and then down the alley. He's He grew sunflowers. And I don't know what type he had, but they would always get about uh, 8 to 10 feet high. They were massive. They were just absolutely huge and very impressive. Let's head out to Fenton now and see what's going on with Vince. Hi, Vince. Yeah, Mike. Yes. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I was. I have a. I planted about two or three years ago. I planted something called a flowering pear tree, mm-hmm. and the deer have been uh, pretty bad. I, I uh, protect it with kind of a mesh, but I'm trying to get the the tree to grow faster. Uh, I got some plant spikes. But they say they're for evergreen trees and shrubs. They're uh, it's sixteen four and four. Do you think that would do any good to speed up the roots of a uh, flowering pear tree? Well, basically, if it what they probably have is iron and sulfur, you know, in that mixture with the fertilizer. Seems so like the nutrients, it's nitrogen, the sixteen percent nitrogen. <laughs> yeah, but it's still not going to. I mean, again, it's. You know, with the spikes, it's a little bit slower release because it's, you know, it's very hard. But it's not going to make a huge amount of difference, to be honest. It's, they're not going to get, you're not going to go out there and in, even in two or three years going to notice all that much difference as far as the growth rate goes. Do you recommend something else to do that or just have to wait for the tree to You just it? have to be patient. I mean, uh-huh. there's no way to accelerate really, to, honestly, the growth of trees. Faster growing trees like willows and things like that will grow faster. But, uh, you know, the flowering pear trees or anything else, dogwoods are slow. Most trees are slow growers. There's a few that are fast. The fastest growing probably, let's say, typical deciduous tree would be the silver maple, but still, even that, depending upon the size you start with, it's not going to double its size within a few years. It's going to be multiple years before it's going to start you know, showing any kind of dramatic growth, regardless of what you do, how you prepare the soil, or anything else. Okay. I, uh, it's just uh, I've lost a couple of trees to uh, deer, male deer in our area, and I hope to uh, keep this. This tree so far, I've, I've protected this tree by my neighbor. Just lost one last fall. And, uh, oh, well, all right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Right. So the deer, I'm assuming, are rubbing. So what they're doing is marking their territory. So that just scrapes the bark off and causes damage that way. Yeah, that's what it is. But sometimes they just rip the tree right out of the ground. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
well, uh, maybe that tree was a little too small. <laughs> yeah, right. Because <laughs> usually they won't rub on something that small because they want to you know, show how big and tough they are. So I don't know a, what they're doing. In the, in the, I, I'd like to go out there in the dark and watch for them and chase them away, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are people that, you know, put in all kinds of de- motion detectors with lights and everything else and, uh, you know, various other things. But uh, it's I don't want to say it's a losing battle, but it's. Oh, it is. Yes. It is. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I wish the county would do more about the, the deer population in the unincorporated areas of the yeah. county, but uh, they just. Oh, well, thank you very much, Mike. C- certainly my pleasure. Now let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Mike, uh I have problems with uh, Bermuda grass invading uh, my cool season lawn. Do you know of uh, any any uh, chemical you can use to get rid of it? Or? Yeah, there's a, there's actually a couple different chemicals. I don't have it right on, you know, let's say, the tip of my tongue. But I'd head to your favorite garden center and tell them you got the Bermuda grass. And there is something that will specifically go and get rid of the Bermuda grass and not damage other lawns. I see. Okay. And it gets into, uh, we have like, my wife calls it monkey grass, and it gets in that. Right. And and, uh, it's the scourge of garden weeds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's highly invasive. You know, yes, but, it is. I mean, it that's is. why golf courses use it, and you know, I mean, for greens and every you know other things as well. So yeah. it's just you know, it's tough stuff. And the thing is, it's not good enough that actually the garden centers or nurseries or sod farms or anything they don't really sell it. So it's oh. you know, it's kind of an oddball circumstance. Yes, it just sends out these long runners. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, thank you for your help. Yeah. So sorry, I can't think of the exact name, but. Uh, I mean, there is, you know, uh, probably only one or two specifically that will go after the Bermuda grasses. Now let's go over to Karen, and she lives in Maryland Heights. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. I'd like to know how soon I can put preen around my flowers in the flower bed. Uh, Basically, you know, I would put it since, you know, we're talking about pre-emergent, and what you want to do is probably wait again until the yellow forsythia is in bloom. And then put it down at that time. If you okay. do it, if you do it sooner than that, it might be okay. And you know, you got to just stay off the area because once it's you know sort of melts and creates that chemical barrier, if you start walking on it or you can't you know you can't move the mulch, you can't do anything at all because then you break that chemical barrier and then it's going to enable the weed seeds, the annual weed seeds, to go ahead and just survive with no problems at all. Okay, so in other words, that was my next question. We put our mulch down in, well, I put my mulch down in June, and I was wondering, it still looks pretty good. How often are we supposed to change that? You don't necessarily change. You just, you know, add, let's say add to it. So around perennials, flowers and things like that, you only want to have one or two inches. Right. So once it melts down to the one or two inches, then you just add enough to, let's say, build it up to the one or two inches again. Okay, okay. All right, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people do mulching, and sometimes, I've been to people's yards that is so thick that it really becomes detrimental to the plant material. So that's what you got. So, so when I put my preen down, I can push my mulch away that I got there now, put my preen down, and then add a little bit more mulch to it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
All right. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Yeah, because all the weed seeds are below, you know, have fallen down in, you know, at at the base or underneath the mulch. And that's why, you know, pulling it away and then putting the preen down and then putting mulch back on top of it shouldn't have any problem at all. All right. Thanks. Right. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Alex and I were just talking about wintertime and everything else. And, you know, it's... Weather-wise, it hasn't been horrible. I mean, we haven't had snow, huge amounts of snow or shoveling or all that other stuff. But it just seems like there's been a lot of gray days. Maybe it's just, you know, my age or something else. But I'm just, all these trees with no leaves on them are just continuing to really bore me. So I can't wait to see some of these flower buds on the trees open up. And I'm not talking about magnolias. I'm even talking about the silver maples. That's one of the first trees that will actually bloom. And so you're going to go, do they, maple trees actually bloom? Yeah, they do, but it's not spectacular. But as soon as I see a silver maple in flower, I know (sighs) winter is over. Let's head over to Ray's yard now. Hi, Ray. How are you? Hi, how are you, Mike? Very good. Enjoy listening to your show. My wife recently bought what she calls a double azalea. She bought it a couple weeks ago around the Valentine's Day uh, period. And it's starting to wilt and lose its leaves. And we'd like to know when we can put it in the ground uh, and what uh, fertilizer we should add to it when we do so. Basically, if you bought it around Valentine's Day, it's not going to be a hardy variety. Okay. So, in other words, you can't really plant it outside. It's something that you can grow as a container plant, but, you know, azaleas are very difficult to grow as a container slash houseplant type thing. Okay. So so to me, I would say save yourself the grief and everything else. It's not going to recover. Okay. I'm being, Uh, you know, maybe too pessimistic, but they're, (laughs) they're, they're very, 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 very difficult to grow and have success with. And, uh, it's just... You're going to spin your wheels, and you're not going to end up with anything more than what you have now. It's just going to head sort of, you know, kind of in a downhill cycle. It's kind of like Christmas time. I always buy rosemary trees. So, in other words, it's a rosemary plant, you know, pruned to look like an evergreen tree. But uh, for the several years, I tried to keep them alive. I kept them alive for, you know, one or two years. But they just got uglier and uglier and uglier. So I just, you know, I've gotten to the point now where I just kind of throw them away. Okay. Well, I it was a very beautiful white azalea. Right. And, and yeah, white. And we were really hoping we could save it and put it outside. But, uh, but um, it looks like that's not going to be the case. <laughs> right. I mean, you could <laughs> prove me wrong by planting it outside. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, those are, you know, azaleas that grow very well in Southern California or warmer climates. Mm-hmm. But they don't do well here. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your show and uh, your speedy uh, taking my call. Well, thanks. And, yeah, I mean, azaleas just in general, the whole azalea group, azaleas, rhododendrons, and everything else, they have a tough time here. And these are the really tough, hardy varieties. And when you start Mm -hmm. getting away from that, then it just gets worse and worse and worse. Okay. All right. Well, point point taken. All right. Great.
Well, thanks, Ray. And uh, let me give you the, I want you, you know, learn how to take a soil sample because this is going to be the secret, you know, to your future of your lawn, your garden space, or anything else. So here is, again, where you want to put in your, put this in your browser. Don't put it in the search. Just put it in the browser. It's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash 2020 Soil Health Blitz. And this is, again, something that's the University of Missouri Extension Service has put together to help people get, you know, know exactly how to take the soil samples, exactly what you need to do, how much, everything else. And also, when your soil is wet, taking a soil sample with wet soil, you have to let it dry out before you're going to submit it. If you don't, it's going to kind of mess up stuff. So and they're saying, in theory, that it should be, you know, the results should come to you in a couple of weeks, which they must have a, had a whole bunch of big staff members to this because it is really amazing that they're doing this this time of year. But again, I'm going to give this, you know, it's a very good place to, you know, learn how to take a soil sample. And this University of Missouri Extension soil samples, to get them tested, are $25.00. And it's T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash 2020 Soil Health Blitz. And it just shows you the commitment that the University of Missouri has just kind of in general to everybody's outdoors. And they've got the office in Kirkwood. But now for the next week, starting Monday through next Saturday, there's multiple locations where you can drop off your soil samples. So that's what the really neat thing is about the whole idea, the whole concept. Their main office, which is there year-round, is on Monroe, East Monroe and Kirkwood. So you can always drop off soil samples there. And what's the soil sample going to tell you? It's going to tell you about organic materials. It's going to tell you about pH and everything else involved with it. But uh, it's really... It makes a big difference to know exactly what your soil has because you hear a lot of people calling, should I put this kind of fertilizer down? Well, it all, why don't you get a soil test done? You can find out maybe you don't need fertilizer. Maybe you do, but you need it with this kind of nutrients or that kind of nutrients or you don't need it with this or you need it with that. So that's what the soil test does. It makes it so it gets rid of the guessing game. So it's, I mean, we're all very serious about our outdoors, our landscape, and everything else. So if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I will see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. The Battlehawks are playing Seattle. Ah. The Dragons, not the Vipers. The Vipers, Mike, Mike made sure he said, huh? Yeah, Mike said, come on, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Thanks to Alex, we got that thing straight. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I got Tampa on my mind, maybe because of a picture of Florida there. sunrise I just saw. It looked really, really nice. <laughs> well, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving that shortly, but right now you can call 314 314- 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The ideas, questions, comments, or concerns. I'll let you take off, Mr. Kelly, because I saw you looking at your phone. You're reading the computer. you got a lot of stuff. That's to do. just what happens in life, man. You, you aren't kidding. Yeah. You guys are so quick. That's why I wear a helmet, because I'm always on my phone. I run into things. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs related to annuals. You know, the toad of flax and pansies, which are the annual cool seasons members. Bulbs, how are your daffodils doing? How about your crocus? How about your grape hyacinths? Foliage coming up. Your edibles. Want to just maybe just grow some lettuce for the heck of it. I mean, it's, it's a cool season vegetable. So just put it in a window box or in a pot so you can see some greenery. Ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. And I'll share my thoughts, but remember my answers, comments, and opinions are certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly for you to consider. And Alex is across the big board. He answers the phone. He needs your first name and where you're calling from. Doesn't need to know what you're calling about or anything else. During the week and weekends... Sometimes I spend uh, doing walk and talks, which I come to your home and I can take a look at aesthetic problems, problem solving with the plant material, recommendations for maybe changing some different plants and putting some different things in. And uh, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number are listed. Probably email is the easiest way because a lot of times, when we just do this phone thing, there's a lady over in Illinois right now that we've changed phone calls three different times, and uh, we just miss each other. So if you do it email, it's much easier to kind of get the whole thing put together. And then I'll come to your home for the walk and talk and share 40-plus years' experience. And uh, like I said, care and maintenance and everything else. Tip of the trials brought to you. By St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And it's a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. Uh, kind of a special tip of the trial goes out to the engineer here at Intercom. Ryan Schulte, his responsibilities are huge. And we've gotten some new furniture and... <laughs> Him being the engineer, he took care of the, you know, getting all the furniture taken care of and everything else. So a tip of the trial goes out to Ryan Schulte for not only the electronic stuff. He makes it so anything you can hear my voice and everything else and all the other stations here at Intercom. But he's also responsible for furniture, <laughs> which I did not know. But also the tip of the trial goes out to the University of Missouri Extension Service for their soil testing blitz. And again, here is the, put it into your browser, the address, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash 2020 soil health blitz. And what it is, that will tell you exactly how to take a soil sample. Then next week from Monday Till next Saturday, you can drop your soil samples off at these locations, Brightside St. Louis, Crabapple Cove Nursery, Hummert International, Garden Heights Nursery, Gateway Greening, Greenscape Gardens, and then two different locations out of St. Louis Composting's seven locations. You can drop it off at Florissant or Valley Park. So, what you know, it's going to cost $25.00. But why not find out what is in your soil? It can make 
a huge difference. And uh, stop fooling around. We keep spinning our wheels or anything else, and it just doesn't work. It's going to tell you if calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, your soil pH, and everything else. So if you don't if you don't get your soil sample done and taken and you can't drop it off next week, well, the University of Missouri Extension Service has an office in Kirkwood. So you can go to the University of Missouri Extension, St. Louis County, to find out the exact location. But uh, all kinds of different things. Get a soil sample. Get it done and find out what's going on in your yard. It's probably going to make a big difference. It's going to save you money, too, as far as buying and anything else. Let's take a call and let's head over to Debbie's. Hi, Debbie. Hi, Mike. Um, I recently moved into um, into the Winsville area, and I'm in a area where there was farm land. Um, I have about an acre and a half, and what I'm struggling with is um, I have a lot of weeds, and I would expect that it's not a manicured garden or manicured lawn. But um, is there a fertilizer that I can put on, or a weed killer that doesn't require irrigation? Because I don't have irrigation, and I know it's quite a, a you know, in order to do a, a acre and a half. Yeah, basically what I would do before I even started worrying about the weeds or anything along that line, if this was an agricultural area, and I'm assuming you're going to plant whatever, you know, anything, lawn or anything else that you're going to plant in this area, I would get a soil, you know, soil test done and find out what there is because a lot of times the farmers routinely put the same thing down over and over and over and over again, and you might have extravagant levels, and that may have a huge impact on, let's say, anything. You may get rid of some of the weeds, but it might, you know, make things even worse. So get us, you know, get that done. But there really isn't a weed killer per se. I mean, the pre-emergence, everything needs to have some moisture to kind of spread it out. So the pre-emergence, post-emergence, you can, you know, an acre and a half, that's a pretty big spot. It's not huge, but, uh, you know, what you could do is just have, a, you know, some kind of service come out that has a tank on their truck and go after your weeds that way. But it's going to be a long, involved process. Okay. Do you think, um, I mean, there... There is a lawn here, but it's got, you know, a lot of weeds intermixed. And I'm concerned that if they start putting a lot of weed killer on it, then I'm going to end up with like a desert storm effect. And You could. Um, you could have huge bare spots as a result of that. And the weeds could be, you know, annual weeds. They could be perennial weeds or a combination of both. So, you know, have somebody come out, take a look, you know, and find out what's going on before you just start taking, you know, kind of a broad approach to it. That way, you may say, "Well, uh, I don't want to really, I don't want to really wait." But if you wait, it's probably going to save you time overall. Understand. Thank you very much for yeah. the information. Because if you don't, you know, if you don't find out what there is there and get the proper herbicide put down at the proper time, you again just spending money, mental money, and real money both. So good luck, Debbie. And let's get uh, one more call before we take a break and head over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. How are you today, Mike? Very good. Uh, my rhubarb is uh, naturally coming up. Should I uh, uncover it? Yeah. If you, how much mulch do you have over the top of it? Uh, I got about. I had about three or four inches or more. So the the leaves are actually pushing through it. Yeah. Yeah, I'd go ahead and just pull it back. Don't necessarily take it all the way back, but just pull it up. You know, pull it back so any kind of growth that's coming up 
won't be interfered with by the mulch that's over the top of it. Okay, and I, we eat a, I eat a lot of oranges and bananas and put them in our compost outside. Will they, they'll, I know they're compost, but are they uh, okay to put in or, or what? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so no problem doing that at all. Chop them up in pieces, you know, so just don't put big chunks of it out yeah. there. But other than okay. that, you're doing everything just right. Okay, thank you. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got some phone lines open, so 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. It's a good time before the leaves come out onto your trees, not maples, birches, or beech trees. You want to prune those in the summertime, but the other trees, your oaks and everything else, you can get a really good look at how the trees are doing you know, if you need to have the branches thin. And if you're doing the pruning yourself, please don't just snub or stub back branches. Cut them all the way back to the major intersection where they're connected, leaving a stub of only about a quarter or a half inch at the most. What that does is enable the cambium layer, which forms a scab. In other words, grows over that point where the, the pruning has been done. That's really crucial and important. If you leave like a two-foot stub or something like that, it could cause some major problems for your trees in the future. So let's head now to Jim. And, Jim, how are you today? Uh, doing good, Mike. Hey, um, I'm thinking about aerating my yard this spring uh, and putting some compost down. Um, but usually every year I put a pre-emergent down, and I was also going to seed after I did the uh, aeration and the compost. So is it necessary to um, put a pre-emergent down every year? Well, it's just probably not. You know, generally it's not, especially if you've been doing it for a couple years, you should be okay. But, yeah, definitely don't bother spending your money on a pre-emergent because, the you know, the aeration is just going to cause problems. It's going to break, you know, the barrier and everything else. And obviously you know or understand that if you put seed down, consequently then it's going to, you know, kill the seed, your lawn seed. So I would skip the, you know, the pre-emergent this time of year. Okay. Or, or this year. Yeah, yeah. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, and then again, if you're not going to do any seeding or core aeration this fall, because we do have those, you know, cool season weeds, you know, annual weeds, that's, you know, to get rid of them, you'd be putting the pre-emergent down in August as opposed to this time of year. And okay. now let's head over to Bill's, and Bill lives in Ladue. Hi, Bill. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. We have a mature silverbell tree in our front yard, and the bark is peeling and slipping off. Um, is this a sign of the tree is starting to die, or is there something we should do for it? No, it's probably fine. Uh, when you're saying peeling, as with any tree, certain trees, I mean, the bark action is going to be a little bit different. But as the girth of the trunk increases, it sloughs off the older bark. So that's probably what's happening. Okay. Okay. It's the diameter of that that trunk on that silver bell is probably almost ten inches. So wow, that's huge. You know, it, it's an old tree. Yes. So. Okay. I think you know and how long. How long do those things typically live? Uh, you know, I, 
I think that, you know, there's some at the Botanical Garden that are probably 40 or 50 years old. Okay, that's good news. <laughs> okay, and what about trimming that tree? Should we wait till it blooms and do it thereafter, or uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, you're growing that tree for the bloom factor, and they are very mm-hmm. unique and everything else. So I would say, you know, wait until after it flowers and get it done You know, pretty, pretty soon after that, and then no pruning sealer at all. Because the pruning sealers you know, of today don't do anything to the advantage of the t- anything that you're putting them on because they don't have any lead in them anymore. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you so much. Certainly. And now let's go to Tom's yard, and Tom lives in Lima. Hi, Tom. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Very good. Little little comment about the gentleman having the deer issue out in wherever he was, Wildwood or whatever. Yeah, Fenton. Uh, oh, in Fenton. It sounded like uh, his trees are fairly small. I had a sister-in-law over in De Pere who had the same issue, and what we did is took some four-foot chicken wire fencing and built cages for them and put them around the trees and anchored them to the ground with tent pegs and uh, did that from the beginning of September till probably the end of November, and she never had any more problem losing trees to, to the bucks trying to rub them. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, a physical barrier is certainly works very well. I mean, uh, it's just you, you may have to make sure that you, you put it in the ground. It sounds like if you use the tent pegs and everything else, then you had it really anchored well. You're right. It did it. it, it she was very pleased because she had, as you know, they spent quite a bit of money on landscaping. Sure. There. So, oh, just wanted to make that comment. Hopefully the gentleman is still listening. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I certainly appreciate it. Anybody that has success with anything, I like to hear about it because it makes a it makes a big difference. You know, something has been proven, you know, test wise, and uh, there's all kinds of different things, and there may be ten different ways to keep the deer away from them. But uh, to hear somebody call in, that I greatly appreciate it. And now let's go to Marty's. Hi, Marty. Hey, good morning, and thanks for this uh, show, Mike. I'm, I live in Creepcore, and I've got a, a magnolia shrub, about seven foot high. It's got a nice shape to it, and we've added a number of years. And I look out uh, the uh, other day, and I noticed that all of the uh, woody shrub is uh, black. It doesn't. Ha- it looks like it all of a sudden just died. If it's black, it doesn't necessarily mean it's dead. It could just be, you know, fungus-related type thing on the bark. What you can do is just you can go out and just take your thumbnail and scrape a couple areas, you know, where doesn't matter where, and just see if underneath where the bark is, if it's still light green and shiny, then you're probably fine. I think it's probably just, you know, fungus-related to whatever weather in that spot in that location. But it does it, I mean, magnolias, is this a spring blooming magnolia or is this a summer bloomer? Uh, spring. Yeah, so I mean, the buds should be on it. So, yes, but they're, again, it's it's got this like a black coating on I didn't touch it or anything. I thought maybe I would just hose it off or hit it with some light soapy water or something. I didn't know. Yeah, I would just leave it alone. But go out and just check it to make sure and maybe cut a couple of the. Uh, one foot sections at the end of the branch with a bud and just bring them inside and put them in, you know, in some warm water and see if the, you know, you probably won't open entirely, but just see if the bud opens at all. 
Okay. Thanks so much. Yep. My pleasure. And now let's head to, uh, let's go over to Ron's. Hi, Ron. Hi, good morning. I'm just wondering, is it time now for me to put pre-emergent or should I wait a couple more weeks? Uh, not necessarily a couple weeks, but uh, do you know the forsythia, the yellow flowering shrub in the springtime? Yes. So whenever the forsythia is in bloom in your area, in your neighborhood, that's when it should go down. Either that or you can go to your favorite garden center and just get a soil thermometer. And this is just a thermometer that you stick in the ground. And when the soil temperature is at like around 55 or so, that's when the pre-emergence should go down. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, because that's basically that's the temperature when, you know, the weed seeds start germinating. So a lot of times I keep saying the forsythia, that's just... But, I mean, there is a way to find out exactly what's going on in your yard with a soil thermometer. They're not all that expensive either. So it's a really a good, you know, probably a good purchase. So good luck with that, Ron. Thank you. And now let's go to Bob. And, Bob, how are you today? Hey, hello, Mike. Hi. Um, um, got a question about some knockout roses. I've had some for a long time. I'm removing the rock. Uh, I had the rock on landscape fabric. I'm trying to wash and redistribute the rock. And I'm wondering, uh, how, do, how do I do I keep the rock away from the base of that uh, uh, rose stem? And um, rocks and dirt don't mix very well, so how do I keep that apart? Uh, basically, you don't have to necessarily keep the rock away from you know the stems coming up out of the ground on your roses, but you have to be very careful that when you push it back in, that you're not you know damaging or bruising the stems coming up out of the ground. That would be the disadvantage. But, uh, you know, as far as they don't, they don't mix very well. I mean, it's just what's going to happen is the rock will start sinking and the dirt will start percolating up. So are you taking the landscape fabric out? Is that what you're doing? Um, no, I'm, what I'm actually doing, I want to clean the, you know, rock kind of gets pretty dirty over a period of time with leaves and debris in it. So removing the rock, I'm putting down new landscape fabric. I tried to smooth the soil out a little bit. Okay. And I'm cleaning and putting the rock back. Okay. Over, over new, um, uh, landscape fabric. Okay. So that you should be fine. I would probably keep the rock away, you know, maybe six or eight inches from any of the stems on the roses that are coming up out of the ground. Okay, I wish I had some kind of a box affair to isolate the two. <laughs> but I guess that's too nice, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. But I'm surprised through the landscape fabric that that much of you know dirt is coming up. Now, leaf debris and stuff like that blowing in and you know basically biodegrading into the rock, I understand that. But there shouldn't be a whole lot of soil there, I wouldn't think. No, no, no. I'm just saying if the rocks get into the soil, oh. but I'm saying all the debris is from tree leaves and sticks. Okay. And, yeah, as you said, that's where it's coming from. Right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, just try to minimize it as much as you possibly can. That's about all, all you right. can do. Thank you. Yep. Uh, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. A gentleman called in and he couldn't hang on, but he had a question about blackberries and he had rust on his blackberries. Probably what is, I mean, you could spray a fungicide on him and things like that. I'm assuming he means, he means he's got some rust fungus on his the canes of his blackberries you know what the probably is the problem is he hasn't thinned them 
So when you've got plants like blackberries, the canes that are the biggest ones uh, routinely every year or so, they should just be cut down and removed. So that's the best thing you can probably do. Increase the air circulation if you've got a, you know, a fungus problem on something like blackberries, which are colonizers. I mean, they're very dense, and you don't get the good air circulation. You could certainly have fungus on not only the canes but also the foliage. Now let's head over to Mike's yard. Mike, how are you today? Hey, Mike, are you there? Yeah, hello. Hi. Yeah, I was calling about uh, uh, irises, and I've got some irises I want to transplant, and they've been in the same place for about 15 years, and I'm uh, just wondering, uh, can I cut them in half, and uh, when's the best time in this area to transplant them? Basically do it now. I mean, the foliage is up and everything else. Now, if you have any of the fans that have not pushed out any flowers over the last year or two, don't bother fooling around with those because it's not going to really, it's not going to work. You're going to move them, you're going to get leaves, but you're never going to get any flowers. But dig, you know, dig them up. They're, what's going to happen is you're going to see that the, you know, there's a tuber. You probably already know this, but then if you want to break the tuber, then just break it. Before you replant it in the new location, make sure that end is kind of dried off and healed and not doesn't necessarily have to heal over. But uh, you don't want to put it in when it's you know moist because it could lead to you know some rot problems of the tuber or slash root. So I should let it dry if I split it, let it dry for about a week? Yeah, a week or two. You got plenty of time to get them back in the ground, but get them dug up, get them divided. And then that way you can put them in a paper bag or a cardboard box or whatever until you replant them. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And mm. watch out for the iris borers. This is getting close to the time of year where the adult flies, lays the eggs, female lays the eggs on the leaf. Then they bore down through the leaf, and then they go down into the root system. And guess what? Eat that root system, and <laughs> your iris are gone. Oh, <laughs> boy. So... Good luck with that. And now let's head to Troy, Missouri. And Florence, how are you? Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, I just have a tip. Um, my mother was an avid gardener and always grew her own plants. And when she would plant her seed in the containers that she wanted to grow it in, she'd only put about an inch of dirt in the bottom of the container, plant her seed, and put a little dirt on it. Then when the plant grew, she kept adding soil to the to the container, and she came out with real sturdy plants with a lot of roots up and down the stem, and she never had any trouble with them. She didn't just put them in and let them grow up and be real uh, stringy-like, and uh, by adding that soil as they grew, she had good, healthy, sturdy plants. And she'll always sprinkle them with warm water. Great. Well, that's good insight. Uh, the only, you know, I'd worry a little bit about it because certain plants, you know, if the stem is actually buried, it could cause some stem rot. But certain plants, the ones that obviously she had good luck with, she knew what she was doing and had great success. And that's a great story. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. My pleasure. And mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. And now let's go to O'Fallon, Illinois, and see what's going on with Dave. Hi, Dave. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Um, I was 
Colin, I've got a uh, a really good apple tree. It's probably six or seven years old now that produces an awful lot of fruit. But I've had a real terrible time with the fruit kind of almost like rotting on the vine. It, it just it gets to where it starts growing, it starts coming out, and then it starts getting these little spots on it. And the next thing you know, it's like the skin kind of gets hard. And then all of a sudden, it kind of just starts congealing you know, right in, right on the branch, the place where it looks like it's literally rotting on the vine. And so I'm just wondering what, if that indicates anything in particular that I might be able to change to get that to stop. Uh, basically, what I would probably do is the number of apples forming, you know, you get the flowers, you can watch the flowers, you can watch the fruit, you know, the apples start to form, but take about half the apples off. And that would, okay. pro- you know, as opposed to like, it doesn't sound like it's. It could be a disease called cedar apple rust, which is a disease that goes between apple trees or the apple family and uh, junipers, upright junipers, the cedars. So if it, if you take a look at that and you find out that it might be, look at cedar apple rust on the internet. Then you start spraying a fungicide on them. But initially, probably what I would do is if you don't have the cedar apple rust, is just reduce the amount of fruit that you're having. Okay. Okay. So, All right. Well, I, I can definitely give that a shot. I've got, I, I know I've, I've need, been needing to do some trimming. Is it too late to do some like trimming of like any major branches at this point? No, I mean, you can still do it. It's just, uh, you know, if you're going to probably, if you're doing that, I would get it done as soon as possible. And then again, no pruning sealer on it at all. And, uh, and don't leave any kind of lengthy stub you know, cut off the where it's connected to the next major branch is connected to, or the trunk, or whatever it's you know connected to. And okay. the best way to prune it is so it looks like an upside down umbrella. So you want it to you know be open as much as possible. That helps with the air circulation too, and that might be related to uh-huh. the fruit problems you're having. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Well, I can do that. Thanks much. Yep. My pleasure. And let's go to Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Hello, Scott. Are you there? Uh-oh. Sorry, Scott. Give us a call back, and now let's see what's going on with Chris. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hey, um, I had some construction work done this past week down in uh, my property and um, got severe damage to my pasture. Um, there's, like, mud. It was soft on the t- under the grass and basically i have three to four inch um peaks on some of the mud ruts and stuff and i'm trying to figure out i own a, cu- a cultivator uh roller and a spike roller um that i could potentially break it up and level it back out but i'm trying to figure out um is that gonna work or am i is there another tool i need like a i i have a a tractor that i can use so i was thinking maybe a disc would do the job or something but i'm kind of at a loss as to how to restore this yeah because it's yeah i mean it's highly compacted and that's going to be major problems with whatever you're trying to grow there if it's just pasture grass or anything else so if you can you know work it up the best way you possibly can that's going to be the best thing to do to get rid of this compacted areas so a disc okay. may, you know, that may work. You may not have to go that much, that far. 
But uh, the soil compaction is probably the most detrimental thing as far as any kind of plant material goes. So you're saying it might just be best to try the cultivator and and not even roll it flat or anything, just kind of let it settle back? Right, exactly. So rolling it flat, sometimes that you know that's helpful, but also sometimes that adds to the compaction. So that's what you know what you have to kind of look at or think about. Okay. All right. Very good. Thanks again. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Soil com- construction related compaction is really a you know a major disaster. Mike Miller, KMRX Garden Hotline. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, we've still got a few minutes. Three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're heading over to Lane's yard. Hi, Lane. Hello. Hi. Hey, uh, I'm driving, so I'm going to ask my question and then I'll hang up. Okay. Uh, blackberries and raspberries to prune. Don't prune. What time of year to prune? How much to prune? Basically, don't so prune the individual. Okay, don't prune the individual canes. Just leave them alone. But what you do is the larger canes that are coming up out of the ground every year or so, or every two years, cut those all the way to the ground. So, in other words, the older canes stop producing fruit, basically. So by getting rid of those, then you're going to have the energy that which all the probably all of them are interconnected through the root system. You're going to give the energy to where it's really needed, which is a younger, more vibrant cane. So don't just chop them off at a foot or anything like that or take a foot off of them. That doesn't do anything that's more harmful than good. Just remove canes to make it so there's better air circulation through the whole area. So... And now let's head over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. Hey, I got two quick things. I got a lot of those tubers in my backyard. Is that violet? Violet, wild violet, I guess. I kind of pick them up. But what can I do to get rid of those other than spend all that time on my hands and knees picking those (laughs) things up? Uh, Basically, uh, going after them with an herbicide, but with violets and like wild onions and garlics and things like that, it's multiple years to go after them with an herbicide. Probably what I would do, unless you're totally opposed to using Roundup, Roundup now, if you buy the, the sprayers, the, say, you know, like a two-gallon sprayer, the actual nozzle that the spray comes out of has a little cap on the end of it that looks like an upside-down cup. And you, it's very uh-huh. easy to put them right on top of the violet. I would step on the violet, twist a little bit, then put that, you know, Spray the Roundup right onto that because you're opening a wound, and then the, the Roundup is going to be more effective and sucked in a little bit quicker. So that's probably the approach I would take. And right now it's just those little tubers all I see. Uh, tubers. Yeah, I mean, wait until there's some foliage there. Okay. So secondly, without foliage, it's, you're just wasting your time. Uh, secondly, uh, I aerate it and seed it in the fall. It was very successful in my front yard, my in-laws front and back, but in my backyard where I have dogs, there's a 30-foot circle, like a moonscape. <laughs> Any suggestions um, uh, to what I should be doing in the backyard where the dogs are? Anything? Uh, you're never going to have successful anything. 
if you don't, if you're not even getting good gr- weeds to grow there, that shows you how much compaction the dog's feet, paws, and everything are doing. So you might, you know, consider like going to St. Louis Compost and getting some playground mix and putting that in that area as opposed to trying to grow anything. And then, you know, if, if some weeds come up in that, then that's fine. There's nothing you can do. And uh, you're, ne- you're never going to have successful lawn in this kind of space. All right. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. It's, I mean, you could, you could use K31 fescues, the toughest things, and, but it's, you know, it's just not going to work. Dogs and, you know, turf is a very tough combination. Let's head to Kevin's yard. Hi, Kevin. Yes. Go, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the gentleman that called in with a question about the damage to his pasture, an old-fashioned farm tool is called a drag harrow, and puts a little weight on that, and as soon as he can get in there with that tractor, that drag harrow might help him level those spots up. Ah, so that's like a claw-type thing? Actually, it's got teeth, and the more you can set those teeth straight up so they'll dig in a little bit, and it won't disrupt the soil as much as a disking will. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. Thanks for the insight. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, uh, makes good sense. So now let's go over to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, I have about seven huge burning bushes. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering, can I trim a lot of that? They're about 12 foot tall or something. Uh, I wouldn't cut off more than a third. So cutting off three feet would be the maximum because if you cut them back too severely, you're getting to the point where the stems, branches, whatever, twigs that are left are not going to have any functional buds. So then you're going to end up with this really ugly-looking skeletized thing. Okay. So. Okay. And then, okay. And then I have uh, a few pin oaks in my backyard, and I have ivy around it, and it's growing up into the tree. Is that, will that hurt the tree? No. It really okay. does. The only time it really you know becomes problematic is if the ivy or euonymus or whatever that's climbing the tree trunk goes out over the branches and starts going out to the ends of the branches and makes it so they overshadow where the leaves should be of the tree, and that's the only time they become problematic. Oh, okay, because it looks good. I didn't yeah. know if it was going to hurt the tree or not. No, so. it doesn't. I mean, uh, you can go to Europe, you can go to uh, you know other places in the country, and you can see, I mean, some really old trees that have a lot of you know stuff growing up the trunk. I'm not a real fan of bark, so personally I like how it looks. But, uh, yeah, if it starts going out over the branches, then... Uh, to the ends, then you got trouble. But other than that, you should be fine. Okay, good. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Michael. Hi, Michael. Hi. Um, I uh, was uh, asked at my church to put uh, some plants in a little island underneath the carport of the church there. And uh, I put some Japanese uh, pieris, I think it is what they're called, Yeah. under there because they're low-light plants. Um Two years in a row, they have not survived. Um, I'm just looking for something, some sort of uh, a greenery to put under there that doesn't require light. Any angle, I've, I've went there several times during the course of a day to see at what time it might get sunlight, and it just doesn't get it. So I can't keep anything alive under there. Would you recommend anything? Yeah, the, you know, the Pieris japonica does not live here regardless, even under ideal situations. We, you know, at the botanical garden, they even have a difficult time to, to grow it. So that, you know, my mistake buying from a box store, then they don't care about the regions. <laughs> right. Uh, do you have to have it look, you know, be a shrub type thing. Uh, a shrub would be uh, preferable, but not necessarily. No. Yeah. I mean, probably I would look at uh, 
go to your favorite garden center, go to a garden center, and see if you can find some Tatani, T-A-U-T-O-N-I-I, Tatani U's, which are going to be lower-growing U's. They're evergreen. They're not spectacular. They're not going to have flowers on them or anything else. They're just a classic U, but that's probably what I would give a shot. Tatani's. Yes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, not every garden center is going to have them, so... Uh, you might have to look around, but the uh, Tatani is just a lower-growing one. I mean, it's going to get about uh, about three feet high as opposed to some of the other ewes get pretty massive. So Yeah, no, three feet more than enough. Okay, great. Great. Thank you, sir. Yep. And, yeah, they're, they're not available at every you know garden center or anything, but, uh, and uh, I mean, today looks like a perfect day. I get, I'm headed out to, to Huntley and to take a look around at somebody's yard after the show today. So, but you know, take some time to look around in your yard. If you've got the daffodils and your spring flowering bulbs are coming up, this is a good time. You can use bulb booster if you want to. Personally, I don't use necessarily a bulb booster. I just use a regular fertilizer to feed mine. But uh, you're gonna, we're gonna start seeing more and more stuff coming up. I'm really getting tired of these uh, early mornings in the 20 degree thing. It's just like, oh, come on. It seems like this winter, as I said earlier, hasn't been severe with the amount of snow or anything, but it just seems like it's been, you know, just kind of boringly cold. So just have a good day, and uh, I'll see you next week. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Have some fun and enjoy the outdoors. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.